science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. On tap today, difference between uh, infection and also a new theory about how to go about treating COVID-19 infections. Talk about the possibility of inhaling alcohol to reduce infection. And uh, we'll get back again to wiping your groceries, whether or not that's important and what you should wipe them with. The difference between soaps and cleansing bars. And uh, your questions as well. 790-0800 is our number here. You can also text your questions to 514-800. I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill University's Office for Science and Society with a mandate of separating fact from fiction, sense from nonsense. My background is chemistry. I think chemistry is the science that ties the other sciences together. And uh, it is defined as a study of matter and the changes that matter undergoes. And that, of course, applies to everything from Teflon cookware to the virus that is causing the COVID-19 disease. So there's a lot of scope for discussion here. Uh, I am in the studio today, and uh, I mention this uh, every time because I get asked questions about, you know, am I not contravening the advice not to go out? Well, I go out of my house, I get into my car without seeing a person, I drive down here, no traffic at all, I drive into the garage, I take the elevator up, I come into the studio, there's not a person here except for Dave who sits across a glass window monitoring everything that, that we do. So there is no chance of uh, encountering anyone who uh, may be uh, infective, so I feel quite safe coming here. Other than that, I've been uh, basically carrying out my work from home, and uh, in my case, it's uh, possible to do a lot of that. Uh, I can do my writing at home. I've done a lot of interviews on, on TV via Skype. I've done webinars. Uh, the uh, library lecture program that we have going at the Cote St. Luke Library uh, is still ongoing. I did my talk there uh, as a webinar, and we'll do it again uh, next month. So it is, uh, in fact, possible to keep things going. Uh, of course, you kind of miss the social contact of going out and interacting with people, but uh, we do what we have to do. Also gives me a chance to uh, watch some stuff that otherwise I wouldn't be able to watch. Uh, more time to uh, watch things at night, and uh, there's a lot of good stuff. I've been watching some old hockey games. Last night I watched the Canadians Nordiques game. Uh, interesting. I didn't really remember the score, so it was like watching a game all over again. Uh, also, I think I probably mentioned to you last time that Andrew Lloyd Webber has made uh, possible viewing of some of his shows on a weekend basis, that each weekend for free you can view one of his shows. And all you have to do is go to a website called The Shows Must Go On. And this weekend it is The Phantom of the Opera, the 25th anniversary version of this show uh, from the Royal Albert Hall in London. And... Uh, if you are any kind of fan of musical theater, you want to see this. It's on until tonight. After that, you will not be able to see it. And uh, it is a magnificent production. A gigantic stage, larger orchestra than ever, uh, greater uh, company than ever. And at the end, after the curtain call, they even bring back the original cast of uh, 
the Phantom, including Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman, who sings for us. So this is, is really just a wonderful thing to watch, and it will take your mind off this uh, virus for uh, at least a, a short time. All right. Uh, earlier today, I posed a question about uh, infectious and contagious diseases, and uh, I asked which of the following uh, are infectious but not contagious. And I gave a list, and I asked for two of these to be identified as, uh, uh, as being uh, uh, not contagious but nevertheless infections. Smallpox, rheumatoid arthritis, Lyme disease, COVID-19, whooping cough, malaria, polio, and asthma. Those were the conditions that I listed. The answer, well, Lyme disease and malaria are infectious, but they are not contagious. An infectious disease is one that is caused by a microorganism, and that can be a bacterium, a virus, a fungus, or a parasite of some sort, that invades the body and causes the condition. A contagious disease is one that can be passed from person to person in some fashion. All contagious diseases are infectious but not all infectious diseases are contagious. Lyme disease is caused by bacteria and it is transmitted by the bite of a tick. Malaria is transmitted by the bite of a mosquito that harbors a parasite. Uh, it's a protozoan parasite uh, of the plasmodium species. And uh, both of these are infectious. They will cause disease in the body, but they cannot be transmitted from person to person. Uh, COVID-19, of course, is infectious, and as we know, it is very contagious. So is smallpox, polio. These are all viral diseases that can be transmitted person to person. Whooping cough is a bacterial disease. It is contagious. In fact, it's very contagious. Now, the others that I mentioned here, rheumatoid arthritis and asthma, are not infectious diseases. There are no bacteria or viruses or any other microbe uh, involved. Anyway... Uh, this term virus has gone viral, hasn't it? It invades our conversations, radio and TV programs, and uh, it's the prime gristle for the social media grill. Although understandably the attention is focused on the virus that causes the COVID-19 infection, there are many other viruses that can wreak havoc with our lives. Although most viral diseases are contagious, and as I said, that means that they can spread person to person. Not all of them are, as we saw. Uh, COVID-19, of course, is. So is the flu, common cold, herpes, smallpox, measles, which is tremendously contagious, and polio. But there are some viral conditions, like yellow fever and dengue fever, that are spread by bites from infected insects, and they are not uh, contagious. We can divide viral infections into a number of categories. There are the respiratory diseases that affect the upper and lower part of respiratory tract, and that, of course, includes the uh, COVID-19 issue, uh, the flu, and severe acute respiratory syndrome. That's what we call SARS. And these viruses are spread by droplets generated through coughing or sneezing. And, of course, as we now know, they can be spread also through touching contaminated objects and then touching your nose or your eyes without first having washed your hands. Then there are the gastrointestinal viral diseases, and these affect your digestive tract. And these are things like the norovirus and the rotavirus, and they cause uh, these are contagious, usually lead to a condition called gastroenteritis. That is sometimes called the stomach flu. 
you get abdominal cramps, diarrhea, vomiting. And uh, these are contagious because the gastrointestinal viruses are shed in the stool during bowel movements. And uh, if you get that on the hands, don't wash your hands properly, then touch something else, then eat the food that was on the plate that you have touched, uh, you can infect someone. Uh, you can get the virus from sharing utensils or personal objects with someone who had the virus. There really aren't any treatments for uh, gastrointestinal viral diseases. Uh, they usually resolve on their own within a day or two. And uh, you just drink plenty of fluids to replace the ones that you lose through diarrhea and vomiting, which are classic symptoms of the disease. There is actually a vaccine for rotavirus that's recommended as part of a child's vaccination schedule. So there are many different kinds of uh, viral conditions out there. All right, we will, of course, uh, spend some time talking about one of these infectious, contagious ones. That's the COVID-19 story. But first, we're going to check what traffic is like out there. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. I'm sure many of you have seen the video circulating from an emergency room physician in New York who uh, is concerned that the treatment that is being offered for COVID patients in hospitals, that is early intubation, uh, when they have trouble breathing, is not the right way to go. And uh, he thinks that uh, the condition that the uh, people are suffering from is more akin to high altitude sickness than to uh, what is normally seen for a viral infection. He suggests that uh, it is a lack of oxygen in the lungs, not the malfunctioning of the strength of the lungs uh, that is the problem. When someone is intubated, it is because the lungs are not expanding and contracting the, the way that they normally would. Uh, you can kind of liken it to a balloon. A balloon can be easier to blow up or hard to blow up. And if you have very thick rubber, then it becomes harder to blow up. So when the lungs are in that condition, it becomes harder to inhale and get enough uh, uh, oxygen. But he is suggesting that in many cases, this is not what is happening with these COVID patients, that the lungs are functioning properly. It's just that the amount of oxygen that is getting into the bloodstream from the lungs is what is diminished, that for some reason, they're just not inhaling uh, enough oxygen, even though the lungs are expanding well enough, but the oxygen is not getting from the lungs into the bloodstream. There's no real explanation for why that is happening, but he does suggest that there may be ways to treat this and you would treat this the same way that you treat high-altitude sickness. Now, you know that when you go up a mountain, the higher and higher you go, uh, the atmosphere thins, meaning that there's less and less oxygen to inhale. And uh, this is why it's so difficult to climb Mount Everest without oxygen support, although people have done that, because you can train yourself to, to function on less oxygen. Uh, athletes, for example, who train in Denver, where the air is thinner, uh, can uh, basically train their bodies to function in a lower oxygen um, atmosphere. But someone who, who uh, is not trained for that and then finds themselves in high altitude can suffer from uh, high altitude sickness, which then causes buildup of fluid in the lungs, less oxygen getting into the bloodstream, and this is a real problem. And there are medications that can be used to treat this. And one of the medications is called acetazolamide. And acetazolamide is um, 
a very interesting drug because of the way that it functions. It uh, causes the kidneys to excrete bicarbonate, and when the uh, blood has a reduced bicarbonate level, uh, the body actually reacts by faster and deeper breaths to inhale uh, uh, more oxygen. And uh, this is uh, one of the treatments that is used for high-altitude sickness because you know then you can inhale more oxygen because you're breathing more frequently and you're taking d deeper breaths and more oxygen is getting in there. So he suggests that uh, some cases of severe uh, uh, coronavirus infection uh, can be treated with drugs that are used in uh, high-altitude sickness. I assume that people are going to give this a shot in terms of some controlled trials because you just don't randomly uh, do this. But there is another alternative, and that is just to increase the amount of oxygen that someone is getting at the early stage of infection. So he suggests that you try to put off intubation as long as possible, but increase the concentration of the oxygen that is being inhaled through a cannula or you know, some some other uh, mask that is put over the patient's uh, head uh, or face. So it's, it's an interesting uh, idea, and I'm sure that it will be followed up. But at this point, of course, nobody should be asking their physician for a prescription of acetazolamide uh, to help them with, uh, with the coronavirus um, infection. So we'll see what happens uh, with this. It's, it's uh, interesting, and I'll let you know uh, the way that this is evolving. Uh, there are a number of uh, text messages that have uh, come in. There's someone who wants to know the history or the evolution of, uh, of viruses and why this is happening when it does not seem to be a, you know, a proper uh, fit for uh, human evolution, that is the survival of the fittest. Well, it actually is sort of a survival of the fittest. As far as the virus goes, it is trying to survive. Uh, this is a pretty complex story, but we have addressed the story on our website. So you can go there. It's www.mcgill.ca slash OSS. And there are a number of articles there that deal exactly with this, the evolution of the virus and um, how it can be treated and uh, various assorted uh, stories about the the virus. But it's a, it's a complicated story, much easier when you go there and you uh, read it. Incidentally, let me point out that another thing that... Uh, uh, myself and my colleagues are doing through our office uh, every week is um, a discussion about coronavirus and other stuff. We've been doing this on Thursdays, and uh, if you want to get in on it, you have a chance to watch it. Uh, it's live. You can see us, and you can ask your questions. All you have to do is uh, go to the McGill OSS uh, Facebook page, and there you can see the previous uh, editions of our discussion, and you'll be informed about the new one that comes up, which will be next uh, Thursday. And we try to keep you up to date on what is happening in the world of the uh, coronavirus. Uh, okay, uh, some other interesting things that have uh, come my way. Uh, theory, someone posed, what about inhaling alcohol? Well, why would you want to do that? Well, he says, look, you have a surface and you wipe it with alcohol. You know that it inactivates the virus. What about inhaling uh, alcohol? That is, put some alcohol in, in, uh, in a, uh, I guess, a pot of some kind. Uh, maybe heat it up, put a towel over your head, and inhale the fumes. No one has tried this, to my knowledge. Uh, I mean, it's not uh, 
it's not a nonsensical idea because alcohol, of course, is a disinfectant and it can inactivate uh, the virus. However, I, I don't think that there's great hope for this because once the virus gets into the mucous membranes in your throat and, and in your nose, it incorporates itself into cells where it hijacks the cell's uh, uh, genetic machinery and tricks it into producing more and more viruses that then can infect other cells. And the cells eventually run out of steam. They get robbed of their nutrients because all of that is going for viral replication and the cells die. And that's how disease comes about. So I, I think that uh, inhaling the alcohol uh, it's probably too late because by that time, the, the virus is inside of, of cells. Of course, with uh, this uh, situation, we cannot say anything is impossible. Uh, information changes virtually by the hour. So one would have to try this. One would have to design some sort of a controlled trial about uh, you know inhaling uh, alcohol. And maybe there are people out there thinking about it. But if you think about it, uh, you also realize how difficult such a trial would be because you'd have to have a, uh, a population very early in the stage of disease, and how would you even know that they're at an early stage of disease? And you'd have to have a control group, because, of course, sometimes the disease just resolves by itself. Uh, so it would be a difficult uh, study to carry out, not impossible, and uh, maybe it's worth giving it uh, a try by some um, uh, researchers out there. But at this point, I don't think I would put uh, too much weight on uh, inhaling alcohol. Uh, drinking alcohol, of course, is not going to do it because that goes directly into your stomach, although it might have some effect on uh, sort of easing the way that you handle the coronavirus by kind of mellowing you. There are other questions, of course, that come up that we will deal with. We will deal with uh, uh, groceries and wiping them. We'll talk about difference between soap and cleansing uh, bars. Uh, but before we do all of that, uh, we're going to take a break here because we have to check the news. And uh, there may even be more news about uh, coronavirus. Who knows? It seems to be evolving at such a rapid uh, pace. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll check the news and we'll be right back. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. What about marijuana, someone asks. Anyone try to combat coronavirus by smoking marijuana? I don't think anyone has tried that. It is probably not a good idea to, to try any time that you have impaired lung function. You don't want to be pummeling smoke into it. And as far as the active ingredient in marijuana, that is tetrahydrocannabinol or cannabidiol or one of the 400 other components of marijuana uh, smoke, I don't think that there's any evidence that any of those has any kind of significant uh, antiviral activity. So even if there were something to uh, marijuana having some antiviral activity, smoking it would not be a good idea. Well, believe it or not, we also have one question that doesn't have anything to do with the coronavirus. Interesting. Uh, let me uh, try to handle that one. It was from a gentleman who's got an artesian well, and uh, they're drawing water from that well, and they also have a water softening filter attached to it. And uh, water softening filters, of course, uh, use salt to exchange the sodium for the calcium or magnesium in hard water because that uh, prevents this uh, scum or precipitate from forming in, in a washer. And uh, he's uh, interested in knowing whether or not you should be using sea salt instead of ordinary salt, as the I guess the salesperson recommends. I, I have no 
reason to think that that would be true. What you want is sodium chloride, and uh, uh, that's what ordinary salt is. I don't know why they would be recommending the sea salt unless they're selling that and there's more profit to be had or something. But I can't think of any reason why you would use uh, that particular kind of, uh, of salt unless something to do with the grain size uh, in the filter uh, being uh, somehow more conducive to uh, dissolving in the water. I don't, uh, but I can't think of any obvious reason why that would be the case. Someone else is asking, they don't have access to a washer and a dryer, and whether or not washing your clothes in, a, in some kind of a container like a tub with, uh, with detergent by hand and hot water is uh, good enough to get rid of the coronavirus, and it is. Uh, this is um, uh, this virus is, is very labile to both temperature and to the presence of soaps and, and detergents. So I don't think that it would be any problem there. Talking about soaps and detergents, yesterday I, on the, the CTV News at 6 o'clock, I did a little piece on TV about the difference between cleansing bars and soaps. And there is an interesting difference there. Now, we know that we are being told to wash our hands as often as possible with soap and water, and we are, of course, doing that in a ritualistic fashion. And there's a consequence there. The consequence is that soap also removes the protective sebum layer from the hand. Sebum is oily material that is secreted by the sebaceous glands, and uh, it's secreted all over our body, and it locks moisture in. As you know, moisture cannot uh, evaporate through oil. Simple experiment that you can do. You take two glasses of water, uh, pour a thin layer of oil into one of them, and leave the two glasses out on your counter overnight. Look in the morning, and you'll see that the one with the layer on top is still at the same level. The other, uh, In the other glass, the water will have evaporated. How come? Because water cannot evaporate through an oily layer. All right, so that's what we have. Sebum is an oily layer. That's what keeps our skin moist and supple. If you rub that away, as soap will do, uh, the skin will dry out, and then you counter it by putting on a moisturizing cream. Now, soap does this very effectively. It removes greasy material, which is the reason that it is so effective at combating the coronavirus, because it destroys the protective fatty layer that this virus surrounds itself uh, with. However, the more alkaline it is, and soap is very alkaline as a pH of 10 or 11, the better it is at degreasing stuff, and uh, the better it is at removing sebum from the skin. Now, it is possible to remove oily dirt from the skin without having as high a pH. pH, of course, is a measure of acidity. The lower the number, the more acidic or the less alkaline the substance is. The difference between soaps and cleansing bars is that cleansing bars actually do not contain soap. They contain compounds called surfactants, which are similar to soap in the sense that they're long molecules with two ends. One end dissolves in water, the other end dissolves in, in dirt, usually an oily uh, layer of dirt. And as you rinse with water, because you've now formed this bond between the water and the grease, you attempt to rinse away the grease, and it works well. The nice thing about these uh, surfactants, uh, which are not soaps, they're in the detergent category. The difference between soap and detergent is that detergents do not react with minerals in the water. They don't cause a precipitate. Soaps do. And uh, the 
detergents also have a lower pH. They have a lower pH about 5.5 or 6, which much more closely matches the uh, pH of the skin. So if anyone has problem with drying out of the hands, getting chapped hands, getting a lot of fissures in the hand, a cleansing bar will get rid of the coronavirus just as well as soap, and it will be more gentle for your, uh, for your skin. You also have to remember that um, alcohol, which of course is the active ingredient in the sanitizing hand wipes or hand washes, alcohol is extremely dehydrating. And the higher concentration of alcohol, the drier skin will be. So again, after using these things, uh, you might want to use a, a good old-fashioned moisturizing cream. And uh, there are numerous moisturizing creams out there. You don't have to go for the very expensive ones. Even the cheapest moisturizing creams will have some sort of oily material, uh, mostly derived from petrolatum. And uh, that basically replaces the sebum on your skin. And uh, your hands will become uh, uh, more supple. So that's the story between uh, difference between cleansing bars and, and soap. Now, of course, people continue to have questions about groceries and how to wipe them, what to wipe one with. There was a novel approach to this or a novel question that, that came up uh, about using uh, bleach to wipe. There are some uh, wipes, commercial wipes, that are treated with bleach, or you can make a dilute solution of bleach. Uh, usually that comes out to about 1.8% uh, calcium hypochlorite when you make a dilute solution. Now, the novel question that came my way, I mean, I've had oodles of questions about uh, whether or not grocery should be white, but this one was a little bit different because here the concern was that if you're using a bleach solution, whether it be on a wipe or you've made it yourself, can some of this uh, infuse into the food and present a danger? Because uh, bleach, of course, uh, calcium hypochlorite can release some chlorine, and chlorine, of course, is toxic. And, uh, as you know, chlorine, of course, was used as a poison gas in First World War. But you're not going to get any significant amount of chlorine transferred into food from um, a, a low-concentration bleach wipe. Uh, it will take care of whatever microbe you have on the surface, but it's not going to infuse into the food. So, no, this I, this I would not be concerned about. But, of course, I would not, not be going wiping individual grapes with, with bleach either because it is totally unnecessary. I, I think that if you handle your groceries and you make sure that you wash your hands well after you've handled them, I don't think that there's a further issue. I don't think that this is a major way that the disease is being transmitted. In theory, of course, it's possible. It's possible that uh, someone in the store uh, sneezed on a packaged food and uh, you then pick it up and you touch your face uh, before washing hands, it, it's possible. It's an unlikely scenario. We know that the real way that this is being transmitted is person-to-person -person contact uh, by small droplets or by micro droplets that are sneezed or coughed out. Uh, we're not exactly sure how far these travel. I mean, we have this two-meter distance that we're trying to abide by, but micro droplets can probably travel further depending on uh, on the air current. So, no, don't worry about uh, any bleach getting into your food when you are uh, rinsing it. Uh, but uh, I, I don't uh, wash the groceries at home. Obviously, I wash all fresh produce just like I, I, I normally would. But I don't wipe all of the groceries that come home with a disinfectant wipe. However, I do very carefully wash my hands after I've wiped those groceries. Any of you who are becoming neurotic about this, you can store stuff in your garage or somewhere for a couple of days, and after that, the virus will have met a natural end. 
Let's check for traffic. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Further to the lady who was asking about whether or not you need hot water. If you don't have a washing machine or a dryer and you're just using a tub with detergent, you need hot water. Soap or detergent will inactivate the virus anyway. You don't need the hot water uh, for that. And someone else wants to know if you're asymptomatic and you have the virus, you, if you've been t- tested and positive test, how long before you can be sure that the virus is no longer active enough to infect others? Well, the time frame that is normally being talked about, and I'm sure that you've seen this all over the places, is two weeks, 14 days. And what that is is, is uh, a good educated guess based on some evidence that in most people who are asymptomatic and who harbor the virus uh, uh, and then you test them again, uh, after about two weeks, the virus is no longer detectable. But again, there have not been that many people who have been tested who fall into that category because not so many asymptomatic people are being uh, tested. But uh, it, So it's an educated guess is what it is. But as you know, uh, virtually everything in life, as I keep saying, works on a bell curve. So the middle of the bell curve may be about 14 days, but there certainly will be people in whom the virus lasts a lot shorter time and people in whom it lasts a longer time. But 14 days seems to be sort of the uh, the average. Okay. Uh, someone that says, the children breathe faster than adults. Is, is that why they get less sick with COVID? No, I don't think that that's the, the case. It seems to... Uh, have something to do with the extent to which the immune system has developed. Children have a less developed immune system, and they are less likely to have an over-immune reaction, a cytokine storm, as it is called. Cytokines are molecules that trigger uh, uh, inflammation in the body, and inflammation can be harmful. And because the children's immune system is less developed than an adult, they are less likely to uh, launch a full-scale attack of the immune system on on an invader. Anyway, that is the theory that is going around. Let me go to the phone and see what Andy is all about. Hey, Andy. Hello there. Listen, Joe, I received some information that this virus actually had a beginning in Italy in 2015. And at that time, the virus was given a certain name and number, SHCO14. They took the white corpuscles of uh, bats and they, and they put it into a mouse that was sick with a certain virus. And then it seems that it created this new virus, which was actually uh, continued to be produced or to be further uh, activated or further advanced. And by the way, Americans were in the institute, the Chinese were institute also, but the Americans pulled out right away in the beginning and a continuation of the progress of this uh, study or creation is was continued by the Chinese. Now this comes to me from Hungary. The information- The font of all knowledge. What? The font of all knowledge, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, and? The thing is this, is it possible this case that happened? 
Uh, I can't say impossible. I've never heard of this. I'd, I'd have to look but into it. I mean, there's all kinds of theories out there on, you know, where the virus came from. Yeah. Many conspiracy theories saying that, you know, it's bio-warfare or that it accidentally escaped from some lab in, in Wuhan. Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, the current scientific opinion, the majority opinion, is that it indeed did come from wild animals, uh, very likely through one of these uh, wet uh, butcher stores in in, uh, in China. Uh, but but I, the, I've not heard the Italian Joe, story. The thing is this. If I would leave my number with the operator, would you call me up? Because I could give you all the things whom, who, 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 for, with whom you can get all the information. Well, what would be much better is if you emailed it to me. Uh, my computer doesn't work. My screen doesn't work. I have a computer. <laughs> now I need a new uh, screen, and I cannot get it. But I would be more than willing to give you somebody. Well, I, I, will look, I will look into it. I mean, you gave me enough details there that I can uh, look into it. All right. Okay, I will do that. Okay. Uh, if the virus is a lipoprotein, someone asks, what happens to it on a greasy surface? Well, it's not exactly a lipoprotein. A lipoprotein is a, a, uh, is a molecule in which a protein and, and fat are intimately linked. This isn't exactly lipoprotein, but, but it's similar because the outer coating of the virus does have proteins and it does have fats. So what happens on a greasy surface? Well, actually, because uh, of the um, uh, fat that is uh, in the virus, it will stick to uh, a greasy surface. And this is why the advice is that when you have a surface that you're going to disinfect, it's important first to get rid of the dirt, which is usually greasy dirt on the surface because a lot of the virus is embedded in there. And if you just attack it with a, a disinfectant, uh, the disinfectant does not break down the grease, and it may not be able to get to the virus, which is embedded in the grease. So yeah, I mean, this virus does mix very nice, nicely together with uh, uh, greasy material. So I think that that's what uh, you're asking. Someone else wants to know example of cleansing bar brands. Uh, one that I know is, is quite a good one is Cetaphil. Cetaphil, uh, and uh, these look like uh, regular soap bars of soap, but they will not be called soap. So you'll look on them and see they have the term cleansing bar or something uh, akin to it. There'll be a long list of ingredients in there. One of them will always be some sort of uh, uh, surfactant, but you have all other stuff uh, in there as well. Some of them will have ceramides, uh, which can be absorbed into the skin and make it uh, somewhat more supple. Uh, it's it's you know this is for people who have very sensitive uh, skin, and a lot of people now are developing sensitive skin because, of course, of all the uh, all the hand washing that we're uh, doing. Someone else had a, a suggestion. This is kind of way out there. Since we know that the virus is heat labile, which it is, we know that a temperature about uh, 70 degrees uh, Celsius will uh, inactivate the, the virus. Uh, as you'll notice, I, I don't use the term kill uh, when I talk about the virus. Uh, I use the term uh, inactivate or neutralize. Those are the terms to use because a virus isn't really alive. And, and when you use the word kill, uh, you are, of course, insinuating that it was previously alive. So uh, the virus uh, just has to, to launch itself into a living cell. And then the living cell starts to replicate the virus because the virus puts its genetic machinery uh, into the, that of the, of the living cell. But the virus isn't really um, 
alive. So we inactivate or we um, neutralize uh, viruses. And uh, why did I say that? I forget. But anyway, the, the, the term, the kill, is not uh, not appropriate. Okay, let me go to, uh, uh, I think we have Sam. Sam. Yeah, hello, uh, Dr. Schwartz. Yes, sir. Quick question. My wife and I, we had the flu vaccine and the pneumonia vaccine. Will that help us in any way? It will help you reduce the chance that you get pneumonia or the flu, but it will not have anything to do with the COVID infection. Will it make it milder? No. It will, it will have no effect. This is a completely different story. Uh, vaccines are very, very specific to, to virus. This is, of course, the reason why the flu vaccine is not equally effective uh, every year, because the viruses change, and, and sometimes they make the wrong guess about you know which virus is going to be active. So while those shots for the flu or for pneumonia, of course, are highly advisable, because remember that these diseases don't go away just because we're struggling with COVID. Uh, so those are advisable, but they will not reduce the risk of, of COVID. And furthermore, they will not increase the risk either, as some people out there are saying. There are conspiracy theorists out there who are saying that uh, the pharmaceutical industry is, is mobilizing to, to have people vaccinated for all kinds of things so that they will be more prone to getting uh, COVID infection so that then they'll be able to sell the drugs that hopefully Hopefully, will come along to treat COVID infections. I mean, this is just conspiratorial nonsense. All right, we are uh, unfortunately quite out of time, but remember that uh, you can ask me questions by email. It's joe.schwartz, J O E dot S C H W A R C Z at McGill, M C G I L L dot C A. And remember also to go to our website, which is mcgill.ca slash OSS. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter, which these days we are devoting almost exclusively to stories about uh, uh, COVID. And uh, that's it for this week. We will be back with you next week. By that time, I'm sure that more things will have happened. The information will have changed. And maybe we'll know more about HAPE, which is the high-altitude pulmonary edema. And this is the condition that now is, is being looked at as being very similar to what is being seen with uh, the COVID infection. That's it. We are out. We'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.